The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. So today's passage is from Galatians 5, 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the words of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sexuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. These There is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become coincided, provoking one another and envying one another. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, welcome to church. My name is Jimmy. If you haven't been here before, it's great to have you. Kids, it's really, really great to have you guys in the service with us. Um, we love having the kids with us. Like Matt said before, we, uh, during the school holidays, we have the kids with us just to give our, um, our leaders a bit of a break, our volunteers. <clears throat> it also just uh, encourages, uh, sorry, it also just is a good thing to encourage uh, our kids what it looks like to be in church on Sunday, what it looks like to sit amongst the service, sit amongst um, the adults listen to a sermon, what it looks like to sit under God's word. So we really love having the kids in with us uh, for the service. So we're going to, um, we, we, we love having you guys here. And uh, like we said, parents, if you have, uh, if your kids need a bit of a, to let their hair down, they need to go out the back and um, have a bit of a wig out, then more, you're more than welcome to go and do that. Well, at the front, sorry, the more, more than welcome to go and do that. Um, kids, you do have a worksheet with you, uh, parents, or adults as well. I'm, I always say this, but I do encourage you to fill out this worksheet as well if you want. There's a find a word in there, which is really exciting. I'm the kind of person that I listen better if I'm taking notes or if I'm doing something with my hands. And so if that's you, no one's going to judge you um, for, for filling out one of those uh, kids' activity sheets. In fact, we're all going to be envious of you because uh, you'll be getting more out of the sermon than we are. So I want to encourage you with that. Um, we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We started looking at the fruit of the Spirit last week, and today we're doing it as well. Just a couple, just a couple of weeks looking at this passage. Today is um, part two. And the reason why we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit is because we have a wonderful opportunity in our world right now to display the, the sweetness and, and the wonder and the beauty of Jesus uh, in the world that we live in. We live in a world that is it's, 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 it's hostile. There's anger, there's, there's fear, there's, people are, uh, there's often just arguments and people are getting more and more divided. And as Christians, we have this really, really great opportunity to actually uh, bear sweet fruit 
in a world that is, that is bland and difficult and hard, we have an opportunity in this world to bear, fruit, bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so um, today is part two of that. We're looking at what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And what we said last week about the fruit of the Spirit was that it is, there is no use in us trying our hardest to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our own works and in our own abilities because it just won't work. Paul warns against that. He says, if you try to produce the good works without first walking in the Spirit, then you'll find yourself trusting in those works more than trusting in the God who produces those works in us. To do that essentially takes the focus off what Christ has done for us and puts the focus on what we can do for Jesus. And and that really ultimately always ends up with us being enslaved. The only way that we can produce the fruit of the Spirit is if we walk by the Spirit, which means to put God in the center of our universe and follow His leading, follow His guidance, follow Him as He leads us through in every aspect of our entire lives. God should be at the center, and our lives should orbit around Him. Our lives should be permeated by His fragrance. Everything of our lives should be entirely dictated and determined by God Himself. That means to be guided by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be guided by the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? Well, if you look at John 16, the Holy Spirit is saying this. Look at Jesus. The Holy Spirit is pointing us towards Jesus, glorifying Jesus, bringing bringing Jesus to the front of our mind and saying everything that is true of Jesus is true of you if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit guides us. That's how the Holy Spirit leads us. And so therefore what we're looking at today is not how we go about trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. No, or really what, we're, really what we're looking at is actually what does it mean to walk by the Spirit so that the, that fruit will be produced in our lives. We want to let the gospel influence the way that we live and act now. Everything that we're doing, everything that we're reading about today... Uh, Really, this passage is framed by what Paul says in verse 14. He says there, The whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In this particular situation in this church, um, some, some false teaching had entered the church, and with false teaching came its ugly cousin, uh, its ugly partner in crime, disunity. Disunity comes into the church, and these Galatians had apparently stopped loving one another. They, they were attacking one another. They were rising in conceit. They were biting one another and devouring one another. And Paul's message is that if they really want to fulfill the law, which they seem to be so intent on doing, what they need to be doing is loving one another. That frames everything that Paul says about the fruit of the Spirit because the vast majority of, the fruit of, this, of this list of the fruit of the Spirit is actually are things that we can do for one another. The question then becomes, can you think about the others around you? How much are you thinking about the people around you in your life? How much are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is your mind possessed by what you can do for the church around you, or, or, what, or rather what the church actually around you should be doing for you? After all, Producing healthy fruit is a matter of a healthy tree. Good fruit doesn't grow on a bad 
tree. And so when we think about producing the fruit of the Spirit, what we're talking about is something internal happening inside of us to produce something external outside of us. And that's the gist of everything that Paul is saying here. Now, before Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit and really walks through that list, he contrasts these, this fruit with uh, another list called the works of the flesh. L- last week, we looked at the works of the flesh and we discussed the fact that essentially uh, walking by the flesh, li- uh, producing the uh, works of the flesh, is really putting ourselves at the center of the universe. It's, it's that part of us that still wants to remain in control of our lives. It's the part of us that is still convinced that actually I'm in charge, I'm the one who should be in charge of my entire life. Now, we aren't going to go into heaps of detail about this list, but it might be helpful to see this list in, the categ- in some categories that we can find it in. So the, the first three uh, things on the list there have to do with sexual sin as a work of the flesh. The next two are around religious practice, specifically when it comes to sorcery and idol worship. And then the next category is by far the largest category, which deals with relationships. And four of these, items, four of these things on this list have to do with toxic, um, toxic attitudes in relationships, and, and the other four have to do with toxic actions in relationships. And so Paul is acknowledging that when we occupy that spot in the center of the universe, it has a big impact not just on how we treat other people, but in how we think about other people. And then the final category has to do with overindulgence, specifically with substance abuse. Seeing them in these categories is really important. I was having this conversation last week with Andrew, and we were looking at this list again and kind of saying, it's easy to look at this list and go, you know, look at it as a whole and go, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. I've never really done any of that stuff. But when we break it down into these categories, it makes us go, it's a bit more realistic, isn't it? It's a bit more concerning for us. But let's just look at those four, those those areas that just pertain to relationships and those four that are just about uh, what's going on inside of us. Four toxic attitudes. He talks about enmity, which is hatred and hostility towards someone. Notice that Paul doesn't talk about what provokes us towards enmity. He just says, enmity is a work of the flesh. How much enmity is in the world right now? How much enmity do we have in our life? What about jealousy? Possessing an energy that is fed by a desire to outperform others and is threatened by someone else's success. Are we jealous people? Do we have that? Do we find that in our lives? What about rivalries? Having a kind of selfish ambition that provokes us to have ulterior motives. We might say something to somebody, but we mean something very different inside of our hearts. Or there's envy. Looking at what, something that, looking at what others have and coveting their possessions, coveting what they have. You're unable to enjoy someone else's prosperity and you can't enjoy what you have because someone else has more. Now, if I look at those four things, and I'm pretty sure we can say this about everybody in this room, not one of us can pass just four of those things. This is a convicting list if we look at it, and we look at each one of those individually and ask, am I producing the fruit of the Spirit, or am I producing uh, these works of the flesh? These, says Paul, are works of the flesh. The, the problem isn't just these works, it's what they represent. It's th- that it's, there's a part of us that's still does not want to submit to Jesus Christ. 
It, only, it earnestly wants to be back where it once was. Our old selves want to be back in the middle of the universe, in the center of the universe. However, it's maybe the way that Paul ends that list that concerns us the most. At the end of verse 21, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does he mean by that? Well, this is, the, this is the importance of the tense of the grammar. He doesn't say those who have done those things will never inherit the kingdom of God. He says, it, it, rather the tense means those who continue to do such things. In other words, they are making a habit of doing such things. It might not be that you're going out and intentionally uh, having hostility or enmity towards somebody, but are you permitting that thing in your life? Are the things in that list getting a free pass in your life? Are you okay with, with having some of the works, in your fl- works of the flesh in your life because of how good you're doing in other areas? Are, are you, is that thing getting a free pass in your life? Maybe, maybe you want to compare yourself to other people and you can see that in more degrees than someone else. Paul is clear. If we continue to do such things without change, without repentance without kind of going, hey, I need to actually stop doing that stuff. I need to stop letting that thing be an idle passenger in my life. Then Paul says, that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. We might ask, what about grace then? <laughs> like, where, where does grace come into this? And we say, yes, grace alone. We are saved by grace alone. But it's not grace that remains alone. If the grace that we believe in is the kind of grace that doesn't provoke us and push us towards change and repentance, it doesn't translate to active change in our life, then we believe in a weak version of grace. It's a tough thing to fight the flesh. It really is. Look at verse 17. We looked at verse 17 last week. This is a tough fight. And this is why the command to walk by the Spirit, it's not an optional extra. It's not something we can just add on at some stage in our life or get around to it when we've got the time. We must walk today by the Spirit of God. It's a crucial thing. Neglect walking by the Spirit and you'll find yourself neglecting far more than you're prepared to do. And this is that first list. It's the product of a life that continually, willingly, and sometimes lazily and without remorse or repentance, rejects God and instead puts ourselves at the center of the universe. But then Paul gets to a second list. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. We've been building up to this for the last couple of weeks, and now we finally get to look at these things known as the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a couple of things we need to know about the fruit of the Spirit before we actually tackle this list. Firstly, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not a fruit salad. We're not looking at this going, it's not like the gifts of the Spirit where there's different gifts for different people. The fruit of the Spirit is one. It's not fruits or different types of fruit. It isn't a various list of quality fruit, but a list of the various qualities of the one fruit. I did a bit of research this week on what makes a good, what makes a good strawberry good. Like what, I Googled it, like what makes a good strawberry good? How do you, can you tell if it's a good strawberry or not other than just biting into it and just seeing it? Well, its color should be bright. It should be, uh, it should be firm to the touch. When you pick it up, it shouldn't be squishy. It should be the right size. Apparently, a, a strawberry that is too big can be too watery and too diluted, so you want to get a smaller strawberry if you can. 
Uh, it, it's, it should smell sweet. Its leaves and its stem should be intact and should still be green. And I'm told, although there is no scientific evidence for this, that the farther away each seed is from each other and the deeper the seeds are embedded into the berry, the sweeter it is. Now, I don't know if that's actually true. I'd like, if you want to try that out this week, go find yourself a strawberry and, and find a strawberry with really close seeds and a strawberry with really socially distant seeds and embedded seeds in this berry. Uh, you know, maybe you could try that, see if it actually is sweeter. And then you know it's good fruit. In the same way, the singular fruit of the Spirit has various qualities. And this is an important distinction. Because if it was different types of fruit that we're talking about, that might permit us to, to grow in one area and neglect another. It might permit us to go, oh, it's okay that I'm not that patient. I'm just not a very patient person. Actually, we're not permitted to do that because this is one piece of fruit that we're talking about. The second thing that we need to look at is that while it's a product of walking by the Spirit, we're also ex- expected to examine the fruit, of the, the fruit in our own life. In the same way that a farmer should look at the crops and, and decide whether or not this is actually a good, a good yield or not, we should look at the, the actions in our, of our own lives, the things in our own life. And, and to do that, we need to be really, really honest with ourselves about what's actually going on in our lives, what's actually going on in our hearts. We need to think about the conversations that we've had lately, the way that we've interacted with people. Is that evidence of, of works of the flesh or is that evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? We need to be honest with ourselves. And that's really, really hard for us to do. Nobody lies to us more than us. Like nobody lies to me more than me. And nobody believes me more than me. We've got to ask ourselves some tough questions this morning. We've got to be honest with ourselves. So let's examine the fruit. There's, there's these nine aspects to the fruit of the Spirit. And what we're going to do for each one, we're going to look at what we think Paul means by this. And we're also going to look at not so much the opposite to it, but what is actually a counterfeit of it. Like what kind of masquerades as this fruit, but isn't actually fruit at all. Let me give you an example. First of all, talking about love. The first quality that we read of is love. When you walk by the Spirit, you'll walk in love. You'll love one another, he says in verse 14. To love someone the way that Christ loves us means that we want the best for another person. It means that we're actively seeking the best for that person. And ultimately, that we are willing to be the best for that person regardless of the personal cost. We're looking at somebody and we're loving them, not because they have value, not because they can provide something for us, but really because they have intrinsic value. They've been made in the image of God, and that is all the reason that we need to love someone else. But there is a counterfeit version of love, which is showing loving affection towards someone because it makes you feel better or because it gives you more worth. Loving someone because it makes you feel better or because of how they can actually make you feel, not because of their intrinsic value, is a cheap imitation of love. We all know that if we love somebody because of how they make us feel, then all it takes is for that person to stop loving us, stop making us feel that way, and we'll stop loving them. So there's the, there's the reality and there's the counterfeit. The second quality is joy, which is having a delight and a gladness and a happiness in God simply 
because of who God is. That means that we've got to be in God's Word. It requires us to know who God is. And so it's a matter of letting our minds swim in the grand ocean of who God is, meditating on the grand beauty of who God is. It's meditating on His bigness and His grandeur, but also on His care and compassion. There's the old hymn that says, All praise to Him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our every prayer with sovereign power and tender care. We mustn't stand for the kind of joy in God that only comes when the circumstances call for it. A joy in God, only when the occasion permits, is actually not a joy in God at all. It's a joy in certain occasions. Can you imagine having such a joy in your life that it never changes because God never changes? The third item is peace. Walking by peace, walking in peace. It's the confidence and assurance that everything is going to be okay simply because God is in control. He is the sovereign God who is omnipotent. There is nothing he cannot do. He is the sovereign God who is omniscient. There is nothing that he does not know. There is the, he is the sovereign God who is omnipresent. There is nowhere that he is not. There is the sovereign God who is omnibenevolent. Everything that he does, he is good. Everything that he does is good. That's the God whom we worship and serve. We need to let our minds swim in that ocean and that will create the kind of peace in our life that will allow us to put our head on the pillow and rest well at night. We mustn't confuse that, however, with the cheap substitute of that, which is apathy or indifference. Not caring about something or being indifferent to someone, it might look like peace, but actually is no peace at all. In fact, the kind of peace that Paul talks about here allows us to care about deep things in deep ways. Next on the list is patience. Patience is the ability to endure enormously difficult times with gritty perseverance and to continue doing the right thing. Patience is having the perspective to see that thing in front of us in the grand scheme of eternity and understand that what, we, that what we might want now pales in significance to what will eventually be given to us in the age to come. A common counterfeit to patience, though, is a cynical outlook where you decide that whatever you're waiting for is probably too small to care about. It might look like you're being patient, but deep down, it's actually that you're not caring about that thing or that person anymore. And then Paul lists kindness. And I wish we could spend a long, a long time on kindness this morning. Having kindness or being kind is having such a deep and resolute security about yourself in Jesus Christ that you are able to, to serve and love people around you in ways that cost you a lot and yet you're not worried about giving yourself away. The imitation of this is incredibly sinister. It's devastating. It's doing nice things for somebody with the hope that you can actually get something from them in return. It might look like you're being kind, but actually you're not giving yourself away. You're looking to get something from that person. That's number five of nine. We're just past the halfway point. How are we going with this? Let's take a quick break for a second. And ask ourselves, is there any, are there any common denominators about this passage, about these, this list so far? And I think, yes, there are a lot, but one of them 
is that these are all internal things. These are all internal things that uh, we need to that we need to that we need to actually let the gospel shine a light on. Two people can be kind, whereas actually only one of them is being is acting when, when, when only one of them is actually acting kindly. Two people can love each other, but only one of them actually loves for the other, and the other loves for themselves. This means that it is on you and I, it is on us, to inspect the internal fruit of our own life. There is no use in, in trying to compare our external deeds with someone else's external deeds, because that will tell us nothing about their heart, and it will tell us nothing about our own heart. The question is, Deep down, am I concerned about the, about the people around me? Let's keep going with the list. The sixth quality that Paul lists here is goodness. And this carries with it the idea of integrity. Are you the same person behind closed doors as you, as you are um, in public? I was having this conversation the other day with uh, a waitress. Uh, I went to this cafe and she was there and she said, I, actually, Jimmy, I saw you driving this morning. You were driving behind me the whole way to the cafe. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> How did I go? <laughs> am I, am I, was, I, was I driving safely? Was I, or was I being a real nuisance on the road? She said, no, no, you, you're doing great. And we had this kind of conversation about like, the difference between our temperaments as drivers and, the, and, the, and our temperaments as pedestrians. Like if you're walking down the street or if you're walking along the footpath at King's Beach, everyone's nice, they're smiling to one another, saying good morning, how you doing, kind of giving each other nice smiling looks, all the kind of stuff. Everything's happy and great. But if you were to put a microphone in our cars, we might be saying very different words because we think we're in a cone of silence and nobody can actually hear what's actually, what we're actually saying. And there's a discrepancy there. That's integrity we're talking about there. And this idea of goodness carries with it the, the, this idea of integrity. Are we the same pe- person? Are we the same people in public as we are in private? Now, one of the cheap imitations, one of the, 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 uh, the cheap imitations of goodness, of this integrity, is to think that actually what we've got to do is we've got to speak the truth, and, and whether or not that's in love, that's besides the point. I was having a conversation with a good friend the other day who was talking to me about um, speaking the truth in, in love and he was saying, you know, in love, whatever that means, who cares what that means, I've got to speak the truth. Well, actually, that's, that's, there's no integrity there. That's not, that, it sounds like integrity, it sounds like you're, you're being good, it sounds like you have an integrity. Actually, you're just trying to get something off your chest. We've got to speak the truth, but also in love. Next, Paul lists faithfulness, which is linked to goodness. Faithfulness is to be true to our word and utterly loyal and faithful in our activities and have the courage to do so when it is so much easier not to do that. The dodgy version of, of faithfulness, though, is speaking love but not truth. So if, if the counterfeit of, of faithfulness, sorry, if the counterfeit of, uh, of goodness is speaking the truth but not love, the counterfeit of faithfulness is speaking love but not truth, we need to do that. We need to have the courage and be willing to actually speak the truth to one another in love. Second to last, Paul is gentleness. The word for that is, this word is full of treasure. When Jesus talks about our gentleness, he says, blessed are the meek. That's the same word, Gentle. And in the only passage in the Gospels where we see Jesus open up his heart and speak of what is in his, what's in his heart of hearts, he describes himself as being gentle and lowly in heart. Gentleness or meekness 
is not weakness. Gentleness is restrained strength. Picture the image of a, of a fierce warrior in a quiet garden. He is capable of so much destruction and so much damage, and yet he restrains that for his surroundings. This is who our Savior is. This is who we are called to emulate. The cheap counterfeit of gentleness is passivity or inferiority. Being a pushover is not producing the fruit of the Spirit. It's having understanding and wisdom to know when it's time to flex your strength and when it's time to put the sword away. The final aspect of this, and this is where we'll finish, is self-control. To act in self-control is to let the Holy Spirit drive our decisions and our actions rather than the appetites for the flesh. It means that we're putting to death our old selves and, and, and possessing the poise to stand back and act, not in a way that is uh, driven by our flesh, not in a way that is driven by our appetites, but are, rather we are, we are wanting to say, actually, no, I want to be driven by the Holy Spirit. So much of our world says, hey, if you were born that way, you've got to act that way. If it's inside of you, it's got to come out. Actually, the Bible says, no, have some self-control. Understand who we are. Understand that what we've got to do is we've got to, uh, we've got to have the self-control. That That's, comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we've got to have self-control. And don't settle for the cheap substitute, which is willpower, in order to be in control. That, uh, that just puts us back under the law again. It's, it, puts us, it makes us ask the question, what can I do for Jesus, rather than what, can, what has Jesus already done for me? The fruit of the Spirit is a tough list. It's the kind of list that we look at and we go, man, it's sweet and it's lovely, but it's hard to actually understand how we can go about doing this. Can, we, can I just encourage you with a couple of things about the fruit of the Spirit? Firstly, the fruit of the Spirit does not grow overnight. It's a gradual thing. The fruit of the Spirit is not the kind of thing that we should expect, that, oh, we've heard this sermon on it, we should go away and be all, all wonderful at this now. We don't go from sticks one day to luscious branches filled with plump, juicy fruit overnight. It's gradual. It takes time. The second thing that we should know about this is that the fruit growth is inevitable. If we walk by the Spirit, if we're putting God at the center of our lives, we should expect to see this kind of fruit grow. Can you imagine if, as Christians, we were known for bearing such fruit? What would it be like in your workplace if you were the person who, when, they, when someone thought about kindness, they thought about you? What would it be like in your family if you were the one who was the one with patience, if you were the one who was known as the one who was being gentle? What would it be like if you're in your group of friends if you had the self-control to, to resist gossip when it comes? This is who Jesus is and this is who we are called to be. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.